This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. All right, we're going to get in the Word this morning. We're in the series called God's Family, My Church. And we've seen that church is important to God because He wants us in family. God is a God of family. The very name Father we get the name family from that name. It's actually, when you look at it in the Greek, it's the same word. It's, it's a derivative. It comes from the same word. Father means family. Well, it makes sense. You think about father, there's usually some kids, isn't there? We don't go around saying a person has no kids. There goes father. He's a father. No, he's not a father. you got to have kids. But God the Father as all of us. But he said, once you join, uh, you accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, he wants you to join to a local church family that you can do life together. And we saw that you can be strengthened, you can be encouraged, there can be comfort there in, in tough times. How I many knows that we as Christians are not those that are in a cocoon and tough times don't come our way? Anybody here ever had a tough time? Isn't it good to have somebody there close by that can pray for you, that you can talk to? It's just like the little boy, he said, Dad, I'm scared. He, he come into the bedroom, I'm scared. And Dad said, look, God's with you. And he went back to his room and came back a few minutes later. And, and the dad said, God's with you, you know, let, let's pray together. And the little boy started crying and said, I want somebody I can touch. Get in this bed, boy. <laughs> God knows us that we need each other. And there's a corporate strength, a, a synergy of every part, doing its part, working, uh, that gives you a, a place of strength that you could never get if you were off by yourself. So God's in the family. He's a family God. That means we're to be in family. It means we're to be connected with family, support family, be there through tough times, good times. We're there for each other. We got each other's back. We love each other. We can challenge each other. And we are all ages. God wants all ages in his family. He doesn't want just one. Uh, he doesn't want us to be all old people 100 years old. He doesn't want us all to be nursery people. Nobody to work the nursery is just all nursery. That's the church. No. He wants all ages in his family. We've seen that, that, that picture in Scripture. In Psalms 92, verse 12, our theme verse, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. Say, flourish flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. I don't care what your age is. You can be fresh and fat and green. You remember the other translation? said they'll be fat and green. You'll still be bearing fruit. As long as you're breathing on this earth, God has something for you. And you can be bearing fruit. But he said you'll flourish. That word flourish means things will be well with you. You will grow healthy. 
you'll be successful. God places us in family that we can grow, that we can grow well, and we can grow healthy. You can find out about the church tonight, class 101. If you're not connected, you made the decision and prayerfully connected with the church. You need to because there's a strength to it. Number one, some, we're going to look at three things that a church should have. Number one is be life-giving, a life-giving church. It should be infused with the life of God. It should be a, a place of faith and hope and love. It should be a place where people come to hear good news, not bad news. I mean, no, you can hear bad news all day long, just turn on the TV. There's enough bad news out there. And you can listen and listen, and you know, it can pull you in. I can start watching about Israel and be praying for Israel, and just all of a sudden, you're hearing the same news over and over and over. God's got good news for us. A church is to be a place full of life, releasing life at every opportunity. The Bible says he raised us up to life, not to death, but to life. Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 13, you were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive, say alive, alive. with Christ, for he forgave all your, our sins. I got to read, and I like the rest of this. It says, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. But my point is, he made us alive. We're to be a life-giving people. When people come to church, it should be a life experience, not a death experience. You ever been to a church where it was a death experience? Everybody looks like they've been baptized in vinegar. They had 25 prunes before they came, and they're sucking on lemon when they talk to you. Do you want Jesus? No, thank you. Got enough troubles. I found your troubles are putting more on me. No, we're to be people full of life. It means that when a person is hurting, we're hurting with them. But when a person is, uh, has a place of rejoicing, we rejoice with them. We're to be a life-giving people. When people encounter us as a church family or as individuals, they should encounter life. And this is in your notes. Church should always be life-giving and a point of contact for the life of God. I believe if people met Jesus, they were attracted to him. If he was walking on the earth, that they were attracted to him because of that life in him. It should be the same for us. It's the fragrance of life. It's, it's the, his life that attracts people to him. And we're to be those carriers of his life and that cause people to be attracted to him, to want to be uh, a part of him, to come to him. That's a part of our, our uh, mission is to be a life-giving people. It's not the responsibility of the head to change. It's the responsibility of the body to change. The head's full of life. We have to be full of life. Life, while we come together, when we worship full of life, 
I'm glad some more of you joined us when we first started. I asked Pastor Shauna, where is everybody? She said it's the last weekend before school, so everybody's getting, getting ready for school. But you know what? It just takes a few who are passionate and full of life to begin to worship, and it will overtake you. There's been people that have visited us who've got me cornered and said, I don't know what that was, but there's something in this room. They've got me in the foyer, said, there's something in this room. I said, no, it's not something in the room. It's something in us. It's Jesus. It's him. It's his life. It's his life. Number two, a place of excellence. A place of excellence. Daniel 6.3. Then uh, this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and sat traps or princesses because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole region. An excellent spirit. A church should have an excellent spirit because we serve an excellent God. But you can take this everywhere with you. you an excellent spirit at your workplace. An excellent spirit in your neighborhood. Wherever it is, what am I talking about? I'm talking about you work on that job, not for your boss, but for Jesus. For him. Well, pastor, if I do that, he never pays attention to what I do. Well, he does. He does. We do everything unto him for his glory and honor. That means we do it with excellence. We give our heartfelt best. I don't know, Pastor. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. A place of excellence. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Oh, this sounds tough. Well, just have the life of God flowing in you. Just hang out with Jesus. And excellence will come on you. Say excellence. Excellence never says, well, that's good enough. Excellence says, what can we do better? How can I do this? What can I do better? Excellence never says a task is too small or too big. Excellence takes what you have and uses it to the best of your ability. Excellence. God wants us to be people of excellence. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about being perfect. I mean, no, there's nobody perfect. I've heard it said the closest we get to perfection is when we fill out a, a job resume. <laughs> You ever had a job interview and you got everything down pat? I mean, you're ready for this. So where are you good at? And you go through your list and then they ask, what's your weaknesses? I remember the first time they asked, I didn't know that was coming. And you, you, they just want to answer. You know, the first thing comes to you, well, uh, I have a weakness at finding my weaknesses. No, <laughs> no. Job resumes, I mean, it sounds like we're just... Awesome <laughs> at everything. There was this true story. It was a pastor who uh, in in California. 
he was talking about gnomes are perfect. He said, does anyone know someone perfect? And this guy raised his hand, and um, he said, I do. And the pastor was kind of stuck then and just went ahead, and he said, well, uh, you know someone that's perfect. He said, well, I actually, I've never met him. I just hear about him a lot. You hear about him? Well, who is he? The guy kind of lowered and said, well, it's my wife's first husband. <laughs> I hear about him a lot. <laughs> I'm not talking about perfection because you're never going to be perfect. But I'm talking about putting your heart into it, being the best that you can be. Colossians 3.17 from the Message Bible. Let every detail in your lives, word, actions, whatever be, done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. So in your notes, excellence is using what you have to be the best, to the best of your ability. We need to be a people of excellence. Number three, we need to be busy with the family business. See, when you uh, come into the family of God, you are in the family business then. You are a part of God's business. You don't work as a really employee. You're a co-laborer. You're a son or daughter of the owner. God needed to appoint a high priest. I touched on this last week and made me think about Lamore. God needed a high priest, so he asked the 12 tribes of Israel to take a, a leader, and they each had a leader, and he said, I want you to bring uh, a rod, and I want the leader to put his name in here, and then we're going to take it into the tent of meeting. He told Moses this, and we're going to see which one I select. Now, what they were doing is they were grumbling and complaining. Each tribe wanted their leader to be the high priest because the high priest would spend time with God, would speak on behalf of God. And there was other duties, but that was the main thing. They would represent God to the people. So they wanted their tribe, they wanted their leader to be the high priest, but God said, look, I, I want you to take the rod and put the name on it, then put it inside that tent a, a meeting. Let me just read to you the Scripture. In number 17, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, get from them a rod from each father's house, and all the leaders, according to, to their father's houses, twelve rods, write each man's name on the rod. If you shall write Aaron's name uh, on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house, then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom, and thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. They were complaining against Moses, upset. Uh, here's verse 8. Let's see what happened. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted 
and put forth buds, had produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds. <laughs> so 11 rods went into the, the place where God was, and they were unchanged. But Aaron's rod went in, and it said that it, it sprouted, it, it budded, it blossomed, and brought forth ripe almonds. Now, how many know that's some of the best almonds there you could ever like almonds? It's biblical to like almonds. God likes almonds. Okay. I'm getting hungry. Anyway, what happened had to amaze them. They're going, look at Aaron's rod. This is, wow. God brought forth life out of a dead stick. He brought forth life. But see, we're a type of that dead stick. We were dead in sin. But when we, when God got hold of our life, we were connected to resurrection life. And life came into us, and we're to be fruitful. See, when you're connected to life, fruitfulness comes out. I can just imagine the, the amazement of all those there. That that rod, and you know, they look in the natural, how did that happen? How could that be? But they had spiritual eyes because that, that stick is it's not connected to the life source. But if they had spiritual eyes, they'd see that God was connected to it. And God's hand was upon that stick, and it blossomed, and it brought forth fruit. We're to be fruitful. But get this. How did God signify which one would be his high priest? He used life. Life. You know, it's the same today. Those that he uses will be life-giving people, people that come with life people that come with answers, solutions, people that come that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, people that come with him, people that don't come with condemnation and judgment, people that come with mercy and peace, saying that Jesus has paid the price and forgiven you of all your sin. Life-giving. A people who are walking and living for him. That's what God wants. Life-giving people will be people that will be actively used by God in the family business. Making Jesus attractive. Bringing people in to the kingdom. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now you are of the family of God, and his connection with you has caused resurrection power to raise you up 
and make you alive, and now you spend time with God, and now you speak to your generation for him, now you represent God on the earth. You're his high priest. He selected you to be an agent of life. You're a high priest. You hear from God. You walk with God. You speak for God. You represent God. You're his hands and his feet on the earth. Oh, what honor God has bestowed upon us that we would be called sons and daughters of God. The day of Pentecost, everything changed. All people have this, the presence of God, the Spirit of God. The gifts and the anointing of God for all people. Whoever would call upon the name of the Lord. Because God wants us. He loves us. He wants us in his family. We believe we're all empowered for ministry. We believe each and every person is a minister. That God's called you and destined you. You have a purpose in him. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now one thing we've got to know, our salvation is because of grace alone. Because of what Jesus did, that finished work at the cross, that's the reason we are saved. But there's more to it. God has something more for us. We're his workmanship. We're a workmanship of grace. But it says we've been called for good works. Good works. Good works there means business, enterprise, acts, or deeds. We've been called for good works. Say good works. But this is not based on obligation, manipulation, or because of some law or guilt trip. This is based on desire. Because when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord, something changed on the inside of me and when he asked me to do something, it's no longer a command. It's a desire of mine to please him. It's a desire of mine to walk with him and talk with him and to be everything I can be for him. It's a desire. And that's what grace, grace actually goes beyond the law. See, the law says, thou shall not steal. Grace says, you shall be generous. Mm. We've been created for good works. It's in your notes. Grace should produce in us good works for God, motivated and fueled by desire, not manipulation, obligation, or guilt. So we've been, we've been created for business. Not just any business, God's business. Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam just wouldn't sit around and count sheep all day. He had responsibility. He had work. God made us where we need to have purpose, we need to have mission in order to be fulfilled. 
Adam would have been bored. That's the reason you're not going to be bored in heaven. God's going to have something for you in heaven. You mean I'm going to have to do something? Yeah, but you're going to love it. We need that fulfillment. But there was before the fall of man, there was responsibility. We need work. Work is a four-letter word, but it's a good four-letter word. Work. Say work. But get this, fulfillment comes when we're living out God's design purpose. If you will not be fulfilled, you will not be fulfilled without working somewhere, somehow in the family business. You'll not be fulfilled. I've seen it time after time. People unfulfilled. I, I don't know where God is. What are you doing? What are you doing for God? Well, I, I'm waiting on God. You've been waiting for 15 years. Do something. Get up and do something. You'll feel better. Fulfillment comes from doing those good works. We don't do the good works to get saved. We do the good works because we are saved. We've been created to do business. And I can't help but think about um, uh, Mary and Joseph. You know, they lost Jesus. You remember that? It wasn't like losing your keys or your wallet. They lost the Messiah. <laughs> they lost God. <laughs> and they're looking, and, and then they find him. He was in God's house, and he's talking with the teachers about scriptures. I said, where have you been? He said, why are you seeking me? Don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? Business. We've got to be about father's business. 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So you're called into the family business, and our business destroys the works of the devil. You are created for business. Now, works here, the works of the devil, you know, works there is the exact same word that we read, good works. It's the same, it's the same word. It means business, enterprise, act or deed. Every time we do God's business or Father's business, we're ruining Satan's business, his enterprise. In the Spirit, there's just two businesses here on this earth. Father's business and the devil's business. Which one are you working for? It says, for this purpose, Son of God was manifest, he might destroy the works of the devil. So we do God's business and that is, you know, we preach and teach, we share what Jesus has done, our testimony, we do these things. It actually goes beyond that. It, it's, it's helping people. It's, it's loving things and people that God loves. He loves people. You say he's a father to the fatherless, husband to the widow. He loves people. So every time that you're loving on people and, and helping people, you're doing a good work. You're giving God honor. You're working the family business. 
And the Bible tells us that Jesus had a zeal for Father's house. Luke 14, 23, Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and urge and constrain them to yield and come in so that my house may be filled. Father wants a full house. He wants to fill the house. Part of our business is to fill the house. Invite people to his house. Invite people to church. It's part of our business. Invite them into the family. Point the way to Jesus. Lead them to him. And a good way to do it is good works. Being a blessing to someone. Uh, a spirit of excellence, you'll stand out in this day. And you'll stand out in a hurry. You go to work and you've you got an excellent spirit. You want to be a blessing to people. You'll stand out. <laughs> you be nice to people. You'll stand out. It doesn't take a whole lot. <laughs> and we can give them the answer to our joy and the peace that is in us. I like this from the Message Bible. The Master said, Then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Don't take that literally, but anyway. Titus 2.13, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And the word zeal means a strong feeling of interest and enthusiasm that makes someone very eager or determined to do something. We're to have a zeal for Father's business. We're to have a zeal for the things of the Lord. And that should be seen in the church. Not just in here, out there. You know, it's interesting when Jesus came to Jerusalem before he was to be crucified, he came into Jerusalem and he looked for a mode of transportation to get in and he told his disciples, he gave them directions, and he said, you'll go find a donkey tied up Loose it and bring it to me. And he took this donkey and he rode this donkey into Jerusalem. Now, it's really um, the lamb that was to be sacrificed at Passover was to be selected then, publicly shown, and that he was actually following what had to be done. But he comes on a donkey. Why didn't he come in the golden chariot? Why didn't he come on staying? Why did he pick a common animal, a common creature to come in on? And a donkey called a beast of burden. Isn't it interesting that the one that would ride on that donkey would be the one who would carry our sins and the burdens of the world? But he picked a donkey. How many know donkeys aren't thought about as being fine-looking. You ever heard somebody go, oh, that's a great-looking donkey. And maybe you chose a donkey because the stallion would have thought, 
All this applause and this celebration is about me. But see, this was to be about the rider, not the one carrying the rider. But a donkey is known for being faithful and steadfast. If you wanted to get a package delivered, a donkey was the way to get it there. So Jesus comes on the donkey. Now this donkey was tied up. It was loosed. It was set free. Probably the only life this donkey had was just going around in circles connected to a pole. It was loosed and set free. But it wasn't just set free to wander around in the countryside or to just stay in donkey sanctuary. But there was a purpose. It was freed with a purpose. It was freed, but there was a purpose to carry Jesus to people. You've probably seen where I'm going with this. We're the donkey. Jesus is still looking for a lift today. He's still looking for someone to carry him to people they love. He's still looking for someone that will allow him to give him a ride to others. We were like the donkey. We were tied up. We were in bondage. But he came. The message, the word of God came. The message of freedom came. And we were set free. But see, that freedom is connected to a purpose. But there's fulfillment when you have a purpose. We're not just to be donkeys going around, kicking around, doing nothing. We have a purpose. And our purpose is to carry the presence of God, the love of God, to carry Jesus to people. Wow. I'd never seen this before. But last night, the Lord had me looking at different uh, texts on this. I looked at Matthew 21, and it actually said the disciples went, and there was a donkey in its colt. It's it's young donkey. It's youngin'. Jesus had said, go get the donkey and its colt. And it said that they brought them to Jesus and he rode them. I said, I don't remember this. I don't remember reading this. I know I've read it because I've read through the Bible, but God, I don't remember that. There's actually two donkeys there. But then it hit me. The donkey's the adult. The cult's the next generation. See, the voice is not only for the adults. He's not only interested in the adult generation. He's interested in the next generation. It's all ages again. We're to carry Jesus to the world. We're to bring him. My question for you, will you be a donkey? (laughs) Will you carry Jesus to someone? 
Will you love on someone in his name? Will you be a helping hand? Will you share? Will you pray? Will you be his hands and feet? He's looking for someone. Not someone that will take all the glory. I believe the day of stallions and superstars, I believe it's a day of the donkey. I believe it's a day for the body of Christ to rise up and we be his hands, we be his feet. A people of humility. Not arrogance, humility and meekness following after the master. I believe that's the day that we're in. That we would all be fully engaged body. Serving the master. Giving him all the glory. And all the praise. Let's bow our heads. If today you never accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. The most important decision that you can make is that you will surrender your life to him. That you'll be his. How do you do that? You just, from your heart, you say, Lord, I want you. And I'll lead you in a prayer. Maybe you prayed this before. Maybe you've prayed this, but you know you, you haven't been walking with him and you moved away. Well, it's time to move back to him. He hasn't gone nowhere. And you can get in on this prayer also. But that's you. No one looking around, just lift your hand. We're going to pray. I'm going to give another invitation too. Maybe you haven't been a donkey. You haven't been carrying Jesus to those around you. And you want to. There's grace for that. There's strength for that. We do it in a natural way. Not being obnoxious and forcing it down people's life. It's loving them. That's you. I want you to lift your hand too. I'm going to pray for you. That you'll be that carrier that you need to be. And you'll help in the family business and fill God's house. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. Say, dear God, I thank you for Jesus Christ. He took my sins, took my pain and shame. He's the Redeemer. I recognize him and acknowledge him from my heart as my Lord and my Savior. I belong to you, Jesus. I'll live for you. I'll carry you everywhere I go. Thank you for loving me. I give you praise and glory. And Lord Jesus, I want to be a donkey. I want to carry you to a lost and dying world. I ask for opportunities in a good way, Lord, that I can minister the grace of God to those around me. I want to be a part. I want to be a life-giving part. A person of excellence doing the family business. Thank you, Lord. I give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we love the Word of God here principles we teach the word 
But you know, Jesus didn't come for doctrine. We love the power of God and um, the gifts of the Spirit. But Jesus didn't come just where we could have the gifts of the Spirit. He came for people. He came for people. And that's our mission as people. Because God loves people, so we love people. Anything that God loves, I love. Because he's the head. Amen? If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You